Hello everybody, Julian Charles here of themindrenewed.com, coming to you as usual from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. And today I'm very pleased to welcome to the show Dr. Mobin Syed, more widely known simply as Dr. Bean, uh, especially to those who follow his excellent YouTube channel, uh, which is Dr. Bean Medical Lectures. Dr. Mobin, Dr. Syed, uh, MD, MS, graduated from King Edward Medical University in 1994 and has worked over the years in clinical medicine, computer science, and medical education. He is the CEO and founder of Dr. Bean Personalized Medical Education. And the website for that uh, is www.drbean.com, which is B-E-E-N.com. Dr. Syed, thank you very much indeed for agreeing to speak with us on The Mind Renewed. You're most welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Well, it's a privilege to speak to you, and it is great to be speaking with you because I have been watching your medical lectures over on YouTube for some weeks now, uh, which I think are excellent and highly informative, not just for medical people, which of course they're clearly intended uh, for medical people as well, but also indeed lay people like myself. And I love the way that you make complex things easy to understand with your careful explanations and your amusing illustrations where you uh, you put eyes and faces on everything, which I think is is excellent for people like me to follow what's going on. And I also enjoy your cat in the background, but I must ask you, what what is, <laughs> what is the name of your cat? So we have two Bengals. Uh-huh. Uh, the one that you, usually is the chatty one, the one that you hear is Luffy, ah. and the other one is Kairi. Kairi is a quiet one, but Luffy is quite chatty, and especially when he hears me talk he has to pitch in as well absolutely i've noticed that i'm trying to listen to what you say and then there's a wow in the background that's <laughs> yes, excellent it, it helps things to go along um anyway as i say, i've been following uh, your lectures and particularly on food supplements that might help our immune systems with respect to this wretched covid19 because at, at the end of the day as you say in your lectures it is our immune systems that you know are the real defense in this um before we get going i want to make a note here an important note that nothing said in this conversation should be understood as medical advice everything said in this podcast is simply the sharing of information and opinion expert opinion in dr syed's case this is not advice please do consult your doctor before making any changes to your diet by way of supplementation Uh, that having been said may i ask you uh, briefly to say something about your work could you tell us something about your uh, medical company dr bean personalized medical education absolutely DrBean.com is a platform where we have medical lectures that we primarily are offering them for medical professionals who are studying for continuing medical education or for their license maintenance, especially in the U.S. and Canada. We have a bunch of uh, folks from U.K. as well for CPDs. They they also use our content. In addition to that, Uh, We have medical students, nursing students, nurse practitioners and physician assistants worldwide who are using our content as well. So we are blessed that uh, we are able to serve at this time uh, for the COVID-19 especially. We had decided as a company that our contribution uh, will be to make these talks free. And that is why we have, I think now we have about 83 um, topics that we have covered about COVID on YouTube. So you can find us on YouTube or you can go to drbean.com and that is what we are doing. 
Yes, excellent. And I'm very grateful for what you're doing. And one of the things I, I love about what you do is, well, is your humility, actually, the way you say, you know, we're all in this together and we're sharing information. So you do draw upon sometimes your, your listeners' contributions, which I think is excellent. Um, okay, well, I want to ask you about five supplements that you talk about. So vitamin D3, vitamin C, uh, zinc and quercetin, put those together, um, and something weird called N-acetylcysteine. Obviously, we can't go into the, the detail that you do in your lectures, and I encourage people to go and check out your youtube lectures and i'll put links in the show notes for that of course um let's start with vitamin d now a lot of people know something about this already particularly that it it becomes active when we're exposed to sunlight and you've got a lecture that describes vitamin d how it functions for our immune system uh, how it's probably significant with respect to covid19 so let's start there can you tell us something about vitamin d how important it is absolutely so i would start with this that the point of these supplements and these uh over-the-counter uh, products is that one they are very very good to keep our immune system optimized I do not like to use the word boosting because immune boosting means that making our immune system overreactive right. and in a, in a more technical term in, in in layman terms that is fine we use the word boosting but usually boosted immune system is harmful for us what we need to do is we need to optimize our immune system. Mm. And so when I talk about various supplements or products, the basic underlying core message is that let's keep our immune system happy, healthy, and provided with the proper appropriate um, substrates for it to function correctly. Mm. So with this, the vitamin D is a very important vitamin, of course, for our body. We can actually store it in our body as well. It's a lipid-soluble vitamin, so we can take it from many, many kind of food items. Once it is in us, it is stored in the body as well, and that is all the lipid-soluble vitamins can be stored, for example, vitamin A, D, E, and K. Vitamin D is especially important Nowadays, it's always important. We always should have it, but especially important nowadays because we are experiencing this pandemic. We're going through this and our immune system needs to be uh, properly functioning. Mm. In the Spanish flu time, there were some studies done on the data at that time. And the studies found that people in the U.S., people who lived on the belts of the U.S. where the sunlight was better and more per day, they had less of the Spanish flu and the deaths were less. Yeah. There are lots of studies, I have discussed them in my lectures as well, which yeah. connect the vitamin D's presence or optimal levels to a better defense system. Now, digging a little deeper into how does it work, what vitamin D does is that not only it helps stabilize our immune system, but it actually provides mechanism to our immune system to help defend against these viruses. What it does is, interestingly, all of our immune system cells and most of our body cells can actually take vitamin D. They have, they can express receptors for it. And then using that vitamin D, they can make immune defense products. For example, in case of our innate immune system, for example, the first responders. So as soon as a virus comes into our body, imagine it's a criminal and the police, the first responders that yes. <laughs> right so I, I give this persona to everything absolutely it's wonderful yes. Yeah. yes so as the viruses come in the first policemen are called the innate immune system cells these are dendritic cells and macrophages these macrophages and dendritic cell in turn need help 
to fight with the virus and especially remove those cells that have become infected by the virus. Viruses are, li- are a little difficult to tackle in our body because they enter our cells and hide in there and replicate in there. And our policemen who are standing outside the homes, imagine the, the cells are the homes, those policemen cannot go in the home and get the viruses out. So the only thing they can do is either pick up the viruses that are already out in the streets, in the tissue, or they can kill the cells in which the virus is hiding. Vitamin D helps our immune cells produce enough of the products, for example, I'm going to use a technical term here, cathelicidines or nuclear factor kappa B, and that allows our immune cells to take care of the virus in a better way and kill it, plus kill those cells that are infected by it. Mm. Vitamin D's deficiency, vitamin D's deficiency exposes our immune system to not be able to work correctly, and that causes an aggravated infection. Mm. I was just going to add one more thing that I, I gleaned from your lecture. There's something called beta defenses, Correct. defensin, Correct. Also, defensin. also defensin that's also made. And I, I was intrigued by this because it, it helps to make holes in the viruses. Is that right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what happens is this, when an immune cell, for example, let's say cytotoxic T cell, when an immune cell comes near a cell that is infected, it inspects it. Uh, it is funny. I call some of these cells as perverse. What they do is they go around the whole body and touch every single cell. But they are kind of doing a job. What they're doing is they're touching our cells and seeing if they are healthy or not. And if they, by touching the cell and seeing on the surface clusters of the proteins on the cell, if these proteins are less, that means the cell is sick. And if the cell is sick or it may have cancer or infection in it, what they do is that they punch holes in the cell membrane and then they throw a grenade in there and burst the cell. And so the medical terms will be that our immune cell would release something called uh, perforins. Perforins punch holes in the cells that are sick and then they throw another protein in there that is called granzyme, which is from grenade, let's say, and that granzyme tells the cell to kill itself. Mm. So this is the way vitamin D would help keep our immune system fighting against the virus and infected cells. Mm-hmm. And this, of course, this is so much more easy to follow when you are speaking in your lectures and doing all your drawings, uh, which, as I say, I do repeat, people must go and, and check those out. So vitamin D is essential for this. However, do we not get enough generally from our diet and exposure to the sunlight? So uh, the, the problem that we have is that, number one, diet Nowadays, there are fortified diets, for example, milk or cereals or other products, which try to attempt to give us enough vitamin D that we can use. However, especially nowadays in the lockdown, when people are trying to be more at home, and these are, and especially if those are the folks who are in the less sunny areas, over there, the activation of vitamin D with sun under our skin is also compromised. So I would suspect that at this time, if somebody is not on top of it, that they're taking vitamin D supplements, I would suspect that majority of us are vitamin D deficient. And that is a very dangerous state for our immune system to have a very essential nutrient not available. So this is why I recommend everyone to take at least 5,000 international units of vitamin D every day. Oh, do you really? Wow. Is it uh, 4,000 international units is the recommended limit generally? Correct. So vitamin D has various dosage recommendations. However, I feel that 5,000 international units are an important part to take daily. 
Okay. And uh, you can overdose, uh, well, obviously you can, but presumably it's toxic, isn't it, at uh, very high levels? Correct. So in a very high dose, vitamin D can uh, irritate our GIT and cause diarrhea. It also gets stored in our body. So if you take too much of vitamin D, that stored vitamin D can then cause other effects as well, which are not desirable. I have seen some uh, physicians only trying up to 1,000 units. That is fine as well. My own regime is that I keep it at 5,000 units per day. Mm. Well, it's certainly something to bear in mind, because I think I saw a study where it uh, suggested that people in Europe were generally quite deficient, a lot of people deficient vitamin D. Now, the thing that confuses me about this is that a lot of official advice, for example, here from the National Health Service here in the UK, uh, suggests we don't really need this. It says, uh, quote, consider taking 10 micrograms, I think, that is that 400 uh, international units of vitamin D a day to keep your bones and muscles healthy? Do not buy more vitamin D than you need. In fact, it doesn't make any mention of the immune system, which is rather perplexing there. Why do you think the official kinds of advice tend to be rather down on this supplement? See, is this is both in academia as well and from the officials as well. What I see is that they try to stay within the boundaries of the supplement dosage that they have safely seen before. Mm. And I think some of the material needs to be updated as well. On the official side, I feel that, and I'm going to be maybe a little offensive to to some of the departments that work on these things, I think that sometimes people take an easy route out and they open up a book and say, all right, what is the Mm -hmm. dose in there and just provide that dose and they're done. The vitamin D at 400, yes, it is a textbook dose. And then for people who have osteoporosis, 800, that is double the amount, is another textbook dose. However, vitamin D in 4,000 units, 1,000, 4,000, 5,000 units per day does not do any harm. Again, you have to talk with your doctor. This is not a prescription for anyone. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You have to talk Mm -hmm. with your doctor to see what your vitamin D levels are and then decide what is the dose that you should take. But it does not do any harm, at least for the patients that I've been using with. I take 5,000 international units every day as well. And that is a dose that would help the immune system stay optimal. Mm -hmm. I am a little surprised that the official messages do not contain any messages around keeping our immune system balanced as well. I think it is paramount at this time that our immune system is healthy so that we do not end up in a hospital. We have to do everything we can to stay away from the hospital, not as in hospital is a bad thing, but we have to keep ourselves strong enough that we can handle the virus before we end up in a hospital. Absolutely. And this information is very important because it, you know, it's all very well going to your doctor and say, well, you know, what can I do? But if you've armed with this information first, you can actually say, well, look, this is a possibility here. What do you think? So I think it is important to have this information up front here. So now another one here is vitamin C. And this may be something of a disappointment to people. I don't know. Uh, I understand that you believe the benefits of vitamin C. They are there definitely for fighting off colds and flus, etc. But, um, you think they're often overstated. Could you explain why you think vitamin C is overstated for immunity? I actually think that vitamin C is very important as well. There are a couple, So here comes Luffy with his... <laughs> with <Yes>. his meal. <laughs> yep. And he's looking right People at... People will me. hear just how loud he is. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he's looking right at me and meow. So my apologies that he wants to talk as well. Uh, now, vitamin C, I feel is that 
it is an important, very important supplement as well, or vitamin as well. It has a couple of very important things that we need at this time. And one is that it helps stabilize our cell membranes, which is that when the virus wants to enter our cell, the vitamin C has specially helped the epithelial cells of our lungs to become strong enough to resist the virus entry. So it does not prevent it altogether, but it helps keep our membrane stable. So that's a very important thing. The second thing is that it helps as an antioxidant. And antioxidants are very, very important nowadays. Again, I'll keep saying nowadays because it is such a a dire time that everything is oriented around it. What happens is that when virus, there are two or three kind of stresses at this time. One, people are staying at home. Their financial, their economic situation is probably uncertain Some for many of us. And that causes stress, number one. Number two, not being able to go out, not being able to socialize. We are social animals. We like to talk with others. We like to discuss things. And so once again, absence of that can also cause stress. And then thirdly, if the virus is present, then what happens is that our body goes in stress in general. When we are under stress, our body starts producing, start defending itself. And the one of the defense is that it produces oxidants. Oxidants are reactive oxygen species, which we make them in a good, um, with a good, uh, good idea that, hey, we would make oxidants and they would kill the virus. But at the same time, the oxidants that are runaway, that have just escaped from their primary function, and now they are running around inside a cell or inside the tissues, those oxidants can actually weld our cell membranes and the proteins in the cell membranes to each other, causing weird damage to the cell membrane, resulting in cell death. So vitamin C is a very, very important antioxidant, and it needs to be present for our immune systems to defend itself the reason that we can say that hey this may be overstated is that it's not just the vitamin c that is needed right at this time we need more than vitamin c vitamin c is one part i see yes Um, but if i remember correctly do you suggest perhaps not going above the recommended daily dosage which i think is 90 milligrams for men 75 milligrams for women so do you think that's sufficient So I think that we can go over that as well. However, Hmm. vitamin C in its appropriate or on-label dose is functioning correctly. Hmm. The difference for the vitamin C versus D is that D can be stored. Vitamin C cannot be stored. So if I take an extra dose today, for example, most of that extra vitamin C that I've taken, which body does not need, will be removed from our body either through the fecal route Hmm. or through the urinary route. So eating extra, taking extra vitamin C usually does not help. What is necessary is that we provide our body with optimal dosage every day so it can pick up whatever it needs and then discard the rest. On the other hand, if you do in fact have a cold or flu or COVID-19 or whatever, is there not some basis then for taking extra vitamin C and your body would use it up and it needs to be replenished? Absolutely. Usually the dosage that is uh, prescribed that dose usually is sufficiently large that if our body is in distress, it can pick up the dose that is necessary and then discard the rest. However, I totally agree with you that when our body is under stress, providing it a little bit more of vitamin C will not hurt because if our body is very quickly depleting this vitamin and we do not offer it, 
then our body would be damaged during that time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, sure. During the infection, active infection, during cold, during flu, during other infections, it is actually useful to give a little extra vitamin C. Indeed, when I turn to the East Virginia Medical School, they're actually suggesting, this is for prophylaxis as well as uh, early treatment, uh, 500 milligrams twice daily. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, and and that is totally fine. Actually, when there are patients in the hospital, we give ascorbic acid or vitamin C IV and in large doses. So there is a time to take it in large doses and prophylactically, for example, I have tried up to 1,000 international units. The only caution or heads up I'll give is that sometimes when you take vitamin C in larger dose, you might develop some scratchy throat. Mm. So that should not worry you that, oh man, I have developed an issue or COVID or cold or something. Sometimes vitamin D itself can cause scratchy throat. But yeah, it can be taken in larger doses and that is fine. Mm. What would happen is that let's say if it's not needed, body would eliminate that. The only thing you cannot do is you cannot say that I took 1000 today. Now tomorrow I do not need it. Right. It is not stored in the mm. body. Mm. And indeed, you pointed to a study of, I think it was 460-odd students. There was a test group, there was a control group. And the test group, they had 85% fewer cold and flu symptoms than compared to the other groups. That was quite dramatic, wasn't it? Absolutely. And this is another interesting thing that, so in that study, what they did was, of course, they took healthy individuals Mm -hmm. and they offered large doses of vitamin C. And what they found was that, as you just mentioned, 85% of the students did not develop aggravated common colds or develop common colds at all. Similarly, they saw in the similar study that in athletes, the people who are, let's say, in military or people who are doing exercises or doing more physical work every day, when they receive vitamin C in high doses, they actually stay healthy Now, they have not seen this kind of an effect in normal, regular routine activity folks. Hmm. For example, I'm not an athlete. I do not go out for (laughs) running or or weight training every day. Nor I. (laughs) (laughs) So it, it may not be as useful for me. And then the idea is that probably the folks who are in stressful physical activity, their depletion of the vitamin is more and then their requirement for the vitamin is more and their uptake is more than usual and that then helps them keep um, healthy as well. So vitamin C in larger doses has been seen to provide excellent results in uh, people with more physical activity. And for the rest of us, we need to take it at the right time, you say? Correct. Every day. We have to take it daily. Our body is going to remove extra. So, for example, let's say I need 100 units today. And then tomorrow I need 300 units because I got some infection. If I had taken 300 units today and 200 were removed and 100 were picked up, tomorrow those 200 that I took yesterday are not available. I have to supply the body with 300 again tomorrow. Okay. Well, I do want to ask you about a substance called quercetin, which I have admit that I, I had never heard of this before listening to your lectures. I'm particularly interested because quercetin may have something in common with hydroxychloroquine, the drug that's often talked about right. in the news these days, yes. in that it may it may act as something called a zinc ionophore, um, right. which may be antivirally significant. I'll ask you about that in, in a moment. But just before I get on to that, um, could I ask you just a couple of questions about hydroxychloroquine? Because I'm sure people would be interested to 
know. This is not, of course, a supplement. Let's be quite clear about that. I mean, certainly here in the UK, it requires a doctor's prescription. Um, I know that you are very concerned about the whole hydroxychloroquine political situation, how it has become very politicised. I won't draw you into the politics of this, but uh, I do believe that you prescribe this for patients. What's your experience with it? Absolutely. So this is a great question. And of course, there's a lot of controversy out there as well. Unfortunately, this is made so political that now there are two wings in the population and one wing says do not go near it and the other wing says yeah this is great so i'll actually give you my own experience from some of my patients so one of my patient um, about 25 years old obese so he had a comorbidity that i was worried about developed covid19 became positive got his test done and then um he had not talked with me in two, three days, meaning he did not come to me the very first day he developed it. He tried to fight with it. And two, three days later, he became very short of breath and became very drowsy. And uh, it became really difficult for him. So what he did was, my apologies for the, <laughs> the cat. <No> problem. <laughs> so this is the fun of the working from home as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I totally love Luffy. It's just that he... I do not know what he's really trying to say. Maybe he's trying to add to me, or maybe he's from the other wing. Uh, yeah. Don't worry about so, it. The listeners are used to this, because <laughs> normally my three-year-old son is scooting around making a lot of noise, so they're used to it. <laughs> Perfect. So uh, hmm. that patient, he reached out to me about three days later, and he said that uh, this is the situation. I'm getting shortness of breath. I'm, I'm drowsy. I'm not able to uh, study. He's a medical student as well. Hmm. Um, and he himself was actually of the opinion that uh, hydroxychloroquine should not be used. He had a large following as well, and he had been posting that do not use hydroxychloroquine, this would kill you and all that. So when I spoke with him, I said, look, um, I believe that hydroxychloroquine works. So you have been doing your symptomatic treatment. If you are okay, I'm going to administer you hydroxychloroquine. And he said, fine. So we started him on hydroxychloroquine um, with zinc and with azithromax the next day he started recovering and i gave him for five days hydroxy and he became very good his oxygen saturation had dropped down to 93 94 and the saturation came back up to 96 97 so five days later i asked him i said you know what we can stop now and he stopped hydroxy And the next day he called me and he said, I have severe shortness of breath again. And I have now also developed upper respiratory tract infection. My throat is hurting. It is swollen. I cannot breathe correctly. I cannot eat anything. And I'm sleepy and drowsy. So um, I didn't want to start him on hydroxy right away. So I I said, okay, let's just keep fighting it with, with the symptoms. Next day, he became even more aggravated. His saturation went down again to 93 And I asked him, I said, you know what, let's start it again. Mm -hmm. And so with his discussion, I explained everything that can be wrong and right with the hydroxy. And he started it. And within the day that he started, Mm -hmm. he started recovering again. He took it for another five days. And now he is perfectly healthy and is fine. Um, That is a matter to be thankful for. Similarly, Another uh, case, I was actually going to discuss those cases on my YouTube channel as well. So you got, you, mm. <laughs> you've gotten the first, uh, first news here. Excellent. <laughs> the other case is that there was a, a person who had a comorbidity, who has a comorbidity of cancer, and he is, I think, about 60 years of age, and once again um, became ill with COVID-19. The whole family became ill with COVID-19. 
and they started doing some symptomatic treatment actually they were consulting with a doctor in the uk as well and she was helping them as well and most of the time what they were doing was just giving intravenous fluids which i do not know why but anyways they were giving intravenous fluids plus some anti uh, ceftriaxone type antibiotics which again maybe for secondary infection it is fine but for the virus itself it is not and uh, they reached out to me a couple of days after they were treating and they said that his oxygen saturation has dropped to 88 and of course the doctor had said that the threshold is that if the oxygen saturation is below 93 then please take the patient to hospital for oxygenation so it had dropped to 88 they went to a hospital and unfortunately the hospital there so i'm talking about a different country not uk or us okay. and the hospitals didn't have enough beds available and they turned them away and they said we can't help you mm-hmm. so now they had the patient at home and when they called me Uh, they were under so much stress that they were uh, people were crying i could hear them in the background and they thought that now their uh, family member is going to be in trouble so when i spoke with them i said look i once again will like to start with hydroxychloroquine and they were categorically informed not to use hydroxychloroquine by the consulting doctor that they were talking with uh-huh. so i said at the end of the day here are the pros and cons decision is yours but this is my only recommendation at this time other than all the other symptomatic things that you're doing so it worked like magic that the day they started hydroxychloroquine i still remember it was their night 12 o'clock and by the morning his oxygen saturation had started coming back from 88 to 90 91 after the next dose in another 12 hours he was above 93 mm-hmm. and now i just before your interview i talked with them and i said how is the patient doing and his oxygen saturation at this time is 96 97 he's still not out of the danger because he has a comorbidity he's weak he is uh, he has an age that is also not very good for the immune system so he still has a risk but hydroxychloroquine helped a lot yes could you just tell me whether he, that's involving zinc yeah. as well and uh, antibiotics at all yes absolutely so it, oh. i i never uh, give hydroxy without zinc and uh, without quercetin so i'm going to explain that in a second okay. so 3 days ago i i reached out to them once again because they forwarded me a message from their consulting doctor saying do not use hydroxy you are going to end up with the patient with severe damage and cardiac issues and so on mm. so i of course once again explained how hydroxy works and asked them that they make the choice with me it's at the end of the day it is theirs and uh, that patient is doing very well now now the way hydroxy is given hydroxy has four interesting functions and for some of those functions we need zinc plus quercetin with it so what happens is the combination is hydroxychloroquine with zinc with quercetin and with azithromax the rationale is the following hydroxychloroquine itself increases the cell ph that means it makes the intracellular environment a little alkaline when the environment becomes alkaline the cell has a few things that happen to it number one the virus fusion to the cell membrane becomes stalled it becomes less so viral entry in the cell becomes hampered secondly the the virus binding to ace2 receptor becomes hampered as well because hydroxychloroquine there is a mo- modification to the ace2 receptor to which the virus binds we call it that the last amino acid is glycated take it this way that we give a candy to that receptor to say okay here is your candy now go do your work and hydroxychloroquine 
does not allow that last glycation to occur, which causes the ACE2 receptor to function correctly for us. But when virus tries to bind with it, the binding is loose and that results in virus not able to bind correctly. So one, virus entry is reduced. Second, virus binding is reduced. And number three, once the virus is inside the cell, hydroxychloroquine has made the environment alkaline. In the alkaline environment, the cell enzymes do not work properly. And so the enzyme that virus makes, that is RDRP, which helps the virus replicate, that enzyme is hampered as well. Fourthly, hydroxychloroquine acts as a zinc ionophore. And as you give the zinc, Zinc itself is a charged particle and charged particles cannot uh, move through the cell membrane at all. So what happens is you need some kind of a gate for them through which they can enter the cell and hydroxychloroquine act as a zinc ionophore and allows the zinc to go into the cell. Once the zinc is inside the cell, zinc itself is antiviral. What it does is that it stalls and disrupts the replication of the virus by disrupting the RDRP enzyme that I just mentioned. So hydroxy would then potentiate the effect of zinc. Mm. And finally, the quercetin itself, that is also important. Quercetin is an additional zinc ionophore. And, and there was a study from France where they saw that azithromax, when it added to it, that azithromax also potentiates the effect of hydroxychloroquine and people became free of virus even faster than with hydroxychloroquine alone. I am seeing some doctors, just one last point, and then I'll talk about zinc and quercetin as well. I touched on it a little bit. Mm. Uh, I am seeing some doctors that they have removed the hydroxy from the regime, and they're just giving azithromax. Azithromax by itself is just an antibacterial. So sure, give it for the secondary infections, but if you're giving it as a antiviral, then that does not work. So why is it the case that uh, there seem to be so many studies that are concentrating on hydroxychloroquine and they're not involving zinc and they're not involving uh, zitromax? I mean, what's going on there? So um, the the studies that I have seen, I think I can comment on mm. those. Again, what was the rationale behind doing these things? But I'll I'll explain some of the concerning things about the studies that I've seen. One of the studies, uh, early studies about hydroxychloroquine that came out of Brazil and that, that said that it is totally bad and it is causing lots of damage, they had been using chloroquine instead of hydroxychloroquine. Chloroquine is known to be more harmful than hydroxy. And in one of the in vitro study, they had seen that chloroquine was five times more potent than hydroxychloroquine hydroxychloroquine was built to make it less harmful than chloroquine so that people can use it for people with the autoimmune immune diseases. They use it for decades and hydroxychloroquine in therapeutic doses is safe. So the, that study used chloroquine and then used chloroquine in higher doses. That was inevitably going to go wrong and they of course had to stop the study in the middle of the study because people started developing cardiac issues. So who should give chloroquine? Nobody should take chloroquine hydroxychloroquine is one. So that was one flaw in the study. Then I saw another study in which they had used hydroxychloroquine. And then this was a study that came out of, uh, out of US here. And the that was also an observational study. That means they looked back at the patients that were given hydroxy and not looked forward. And what they had done was that the hydroxy was given at a situation when the patient was actually becoming aggravated or, or worst. Hydroxy doesn't work at that stage very well because it is not as potent to now take care of immune system uh, issues. The second thing that they had done was there was no zinc, there was no quercetin, there was no zithromax. 
And I think that the proper understanding of how hydroxy work or how this regime works is important for doctors. They choose to give it or not, that is up to them and their patient, but they should at least understand that hydroxy alone does not work very well unless you combine it with zinc and azithromax and with quercetin. The third study that I saw, which just came out recently, uh, this is not the Mehra study, which was a total sham, mm. but another study came out recently and said, hey, hydroxychloroquine does not work very well. And turned out that they had been using 2,400 milligram dose of hydroxychloroquine within 24 hours. That is horrendous. That would cause yeah. damage. Of course, they came back and they said, well, this caused damage. It's remarkable, isn't it? It's, it is almost as if there is no will, or even, in fact, a will to find against hydroxychloroquine. Well, that's how it seems to me anyway, and I won't ask you to comment upon that. Um, but I will ask you to comment on the Lancet article that was retracted. You did just mention it there. I mean, how damaging is that for the Lancet and indeed for the World Health Organization that relied upon it? There could be no more damage during this pandemic than that one study. Hmm. What happened was before the study, when I would talk with the patients and I'll say that, hey, hydroxychloroquine may be useful, they would not be that fearful of what can happen. When this study came out, and as we saw that the study was, now it is retracted, the, the company that brought the study up, the data analytics company, the Suggisphere, that company was formed to, in this Feb, February or, or two people company, I mean, meaning the whole thing is uh, a little fishy. And then that the CEO of the company is part of the paper as well. And then they come up and they say, here is what we have seen that out of 96,000 people, we have seen that it, it actually causes harm. And when we asked them that, hey, where is the data? They had a, a baked statement to say we cannot share the data. So it was it was a mess of a study itself. However, a bigger mess was that Lancet decided to publish that and WHO, look, I am a doctor, one individual person, and I could go and look into the study and look at, into the data and find flaws and say, I was on YouTube talking about it, that this is not right, before WHO had re retracted. And at that time, WHO, they are a resourceful organization. Yes. Could they not put a few doctors to say, please go and look at the data more carefully? Please talk with the authors. Please see what, how did they process the data? Could they not spend maybe 10 people's time for one day to look at it? Instead, they just came out and they said, well, all the trials are paused. And more damaging was that as soon as they did it, the whole world's news media picked it up and ran a news cycle because this was sensationalizing and this was going to give them reviews and more audience. So the whole world made that into a big news and that caused such a rumor mill in the world that now whenever I talk with anyone and say we should use hydroxy, they simply say that there was a, they send me this link. And then it becomes my duty to go back and say, did you then hear that WHO has retracted it? But nobody cares that now they have retracted it. The yeah. initial news was bigger. And that is the damage. That is a horrendous damage that is done for people's life and their safety. Absolutely. And I yes. cannot understand how WHO ended up in that mess. It is remarkable, as you say, damaging for people, not just for the Lancet and the WHO, for people's lives indeed. Yes. So, uh, yeah, thank you for commenting upon that. Um, okay. Well, let's just have a quick conversation then about this quercetin and zinc, which seems to have something in common with hydroxychloroquine, just one, one aspect of it, which is this ionophore. Can you just explain, um, about quercetin? 
Absolutely. Quercetin itself is of, uh, let's say, less use. What is more important is that zinc needs to get into a cell. And zinc being a charged particle cannot cross a cell membrane, which is a phospholipid uh, neutral membrane. Imagine zinc is now standing outside a home and saying, how do I go in there? I know that if I go in there, there's a virus and I can disrupt its replication. Mm. Zinc is the antiviral, for example. The problem is we need channels for it to go through to enter the cell. So there are two channels that we can offer. One is hydroxychloroquine itself. That is a zinc ionophore, meaning it becomes a gate for the zinc in the cell membrane and allows it in. Similarly, quercetin is a very important ionophore as well. Quercetin is found in most of the fruits and vegetables, especially those fruits and vegetables that have red skin. For example, red apples have quercetin, strawberries have quercetin, onions have quercetin, and many other food products have quercetin in them. Quercetin also is a channel. So what happens is it goes and inserts itself in a cell membrane, becomes a channel for zinc and allows the zinc to go in. Zinc then goes in and causes the disruption of the viral replication. So for the medical professionals who are listening to this, giving quercetin alone is of no use because you've got to have the zinc to go into the cell to do something. Quercetin itself is not antiviral. Similarly, giving zinc alone is also less useful because we do not have sufficient channels for it to go in. So if you're not going to use hydroxychloroquine, for example, if you have hesitation to use that, then at least use zinc with quercetin. Quercetin would offer an ionophore function and zinc would be allowed to go in. However, the best combination is hydroxychloroquine with zinc and quercetin. So quercetin is actually found, as you say, in fruit. So obviously, if we're taking it in fruit, it's safe. But do we know that quercetin is safe to take as a supplement? What kind of levels are safe? So absolutely. So quercetin itself is very, very safe. It is just nothing more than a zinc ionophore. So um, the normal dosage, I usually just use the dose that is on label. And various formulations have various ways of their tablet formation. So the, the number may be different, but on label dose is enough if that is not available then a couple of apples per day or a few strawberries per day are very important mm. and this actually looking at quercetin now i feel that when they say apple a day keeps a doctor away yes. there are there are some truths in that <laughs> yes i remember being told that as a child uh, yes indeed um yeah well i i you know obviously i was trying to play devil's advocate with with, with these interviews and so i uh, looked on the internet and i found a press release from the year 2000 from berkeley where a certain a professor of toxicology martin smith it was reported that he was saying that high doses of bioflavonoids so like quercetin, may actually be carcinogenic in uh, high doses. Have you come across that? I will have to look at that study to see what was their observation, what was the dose used. Mm. The quercetin's normal on-label dose has never been reported as being carcinogenic. Mm. I'll tell you uh, an interesting thing with the studies. And I mentioned that in my YouTube lectures as well. Nowadays, we know that with COVID-19, about 81% of the patients will recover uh, regardless of what they're taking. And then there are 19% that go in trouble, they end up in ICU, and then unfortunately some of them die. Now, the 81% of the patients who are going to recover, their immune system is healthy enough, they are healthy enough, their age is good enough, their, uh, their body is functioning correctly. If they, they just stood out in the sun, they would become okay. <laughs> or if they, uh, they were 
doing squats, they will become okay, right? So now they can come back and in the study, they can say, hey, this population was standing out in the sun and they became okay. So we think it is the sun. Similarly, finding something to be, for example, carcinogenic. Actually, so evidence bases itself that let's say we give high dose of quercetin and then we see that there is carcinoma developed. If that is a properly double-blinded, uh, properly controlled study, not double-blinded, controlled study, then we can say that, yeah, this may happen. One, I have to look at the study to see what was the study structure to comment on it. Yeah. But generally, what I would say is in normal therapeutic doses or a couple of apples per day or a few strawberries, nobody develops cancers with those or with the on-label dose of quercetin, there is no issue. Mm-hmm. And this is something, of course, that you can just buy over the counter, isn't it? You don't need a prescription yes. for this. Correct. Mm. Okay. Um, one last substance, which uh, has got a very strange name indeed, N-acetyl-L-cysteine, or well, fortunately we can call it NAC, can't we? N-A-C. Um, now, this is something that I have uh, bought some on your recommendation. And I have to say, it's not that easy to consume. It, it reminds me of bad eggs, uh, but I have uh, I have managed to consume it by masking it with other things. Anyway, you say that this has several uh, important actions that could be helpful with respect to COVID-19. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about this strange eggy substance. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and this is why it is actually, it is actually very good for skin as well. However, it is not used in skin formulations because of its bad smell. <laughs> so I totally agree with you that it does have a bad smell. Uh, the formulation that I use that has a little better smell, so I think it depends upon the formulation as well. N-acetylcysteine, uh, I'll try to be as brief with it as possible. It's a very large topic. Yes. We have an amino acid called cysteine in our body. That amino acid is necessary to help fold our proteins. We are in a three-dimensional structure because our proteins are folded and then our visceras and ribs and bones are folded and we become 3D. So imagine within a cell, the proteins need to become three-dimensional as well to do their function. And for that, we need them to have bends in them. And methionine and cysteine are the ones that help with those bends. Secondly, in our proteins, we have bonding. So what happens is protein threads are folded and then they are bonded in their to kind of keep them in that shape. And usually those bonds are developed with the disulfide bridges. So there are sulfur bridges that bind our proteins together. Now what happens is sometimes these bridges develop where we do not want them to be. And in such cases, we need products that would break those bridges. And the easiest example to see is when we have respiratory infections or we have asthma and there are mucus plugs that are developed, these mucus plugs develop because there are sulfur bonds in there, which cause the mucus to become folded and become thick. And then we take mucolytics, which are the one that break the mucus. And how do they break the mucus? They break those sulfur bonds mm. and that makes the mucus more thin and then we can expectorate it or throw it out. The N-acetylcysteine has a couple of very interesting functions. One function is that it helps make glutathione. Glutathione is something that helps with the breaking the bonds. So that is one very important product which uses N-acetylcysteine as a building block. Secondly, N-acetylcysteine itself is an oxidant scavenger. What does that mean is that when we have extra oxidants present, let's say somebody gets COVID-19 and their body is in distress and they're making a lot of oxidation 
reactions and then they have a lot of reactive oxygen species those reactive oxygen species now need to be removed and what n-acetylcysteine does is that it acts like a small um, imagine if the oxidants were a bully and now they are trying to bully the the people around and what happens is many of our products that are antioxidant let's use vitamin c for an example when the reactive oxygen species combines with vitamin c that molecule of vitamin c is now used up in neutralizing that reactive oxygen species on the other hand n-acetylcysteine has a clever way of working what happens is that it consumes a reactive oxygen species makes it neutral and then in that process it kind of dies as well but then it regenerates uh-huh. so our body has a system to regenerate it from its dead state or from its neutralized state so n-acetylcysteine can continue to neutralize the reactive oxygen species by dying with them every time and then regenerating it's like a phoenix Mm -hmm. this kind of a phenomena is not seen with other antioxidants so if you take another antioxidant that would be depleted but n-acetylcysteine can be regenerated so that's its power and we call it a scavenging Mm -hmm. antioxidant is it the glutathione that gets used up and, and then resurrected as it were is it that aspect so glutathione can be reprocessed as well. Uh-huh. However, glutathione is not an antioxidant scavenger. Uh-huh. From the market, you can buy glutathione or you can buy N-acetylcysteine. If you buy glutathione, that would give you the uh, qualities of the glutathione. For example, it would break the sulfur bridges where it needs to, but it would not act as a scavenger antioxidant. On the other hand, if you take N-acetylcysteine, N-acetylcysteine would allow your body to make more glutathione, which is also important and we need it. But in addition to that, N-acetylcysteine is going to act as an antioxidant by itself and as a scavenger molecule by itself as well. That is the additional bonus Uh that we get with it. Right, so you're getting more bang for your buck if you buy Correct. NAC instead of... Yes. Correct. Um, is there another aspect to this with anti-blood clotting? Because, I mean, a lot of people are talking about COVID-19 being a clotting phenomenon these days. Um, Absolutely. It's helpful for that as well, isn't it? Absolutely. N-acetylcysteine is also very, very useful in helping keeping the factor eight under control. And factor eight or von Willebrand factor is very important during the clotting, especially when the COVID-19 blood clots occur, what happens is that, of course, we know that the virus causes imbalance between ACE2 and ACE1 to 7 molecules, which in turn causes a damage to the blood vessel, which in turn exposes our collagen and other tissue products that should not be exposed to the blood, which then causes the formation of blood clots inside the blood vessels. Now, one important molecule in there is von Willebrand factor. And N-acetylcysteine also helps stabilize the von Willebrand factor, keep it in a bigger, uh, larger molecular size, which then in turn causes other factors to stay stable as well. So N-acetylcysteine is very, very useful to, at this time, prevent the runaway clotting that happens during COVID-19. And that presumably would be more advanced into the disease, would it, rather than at the beginning? Correct. But you do advise, so using, I, it, you advise using it prophylactically, don't you? Absolutely. The, the reason for that is it is simply just like aspirin as well, that if somebody can take aspirin, they should. The reason for that is that, of course, when people are becoming seriously ill, they progress from uh, asymptomatic state 
to symptomatic, mildly symptomatic to more moderate and severe cases. And as they're progressing, if we have the right molecules available, then right in the beginning, those stages of serious uh, state will not be moved to that fast if we have these molecules that are working against these stages. Hmm. So yes, when the stage has occurred, then probably N-acetylcysteine is not going to be that much of of importance because now we need anticoagulants like heparin or tissue plasminogen activators or uh, apoprosinol or prostacyclines. But before that, if there is a patient who is going to progress to that and they have N-acetylcysteine present, that progression can become slow. And I am all about keeping the body protected and healthy before we become serious, because we are seeing with COVID-19 that if we become serious, it becomes um, a very risky situation. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And this is another one that's available over the counter. But how safe is it? I mean, something that smells of bad eggs immediately makes you think, well, I'm not sure I want to consume this. I think you say in your lectures that it's very safe. However, I will question you about that in a moment. Um, is that right? You say it's very safe? Yeah, absolutely. Please. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, I found a certain Dr. Derek Lowe, who's an organic chemist working in the pharmaceutical industry, and he writes, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes, uh, suggesting that uh, it may be, NAC may be associated with a higher risk of tumor initiation. He does point to a couple of studies for that. Have you come across that sort of thing? So I have not seen those studies yet. My apologies. Mm -hmm. I would look at those links and probably provide my comment back to you as well, which maybe you can put that in the descriptions here. Uh, I have never heard N-acetylcysteine because consider this N-acetylcysteine or acetylcysteine is an essential amino acid in our body. We can actually uh, make in our body as well. And this drug is on WHO's list of the most safe drugs. Right. So it is on the WHO's list of essential drugs and the most safe drug. So in the therapeutic doses, once again, I would not see any issue with N-acetylcysteine. I would look at those uh, studies to see what kind of data and the study size and what was the observation they made. Mm. Yes, indeed. I will send you that information and uh, get your response into the notes in due course. Thank you very much. Well, indeed, thank you very much, Dr. Syed, for a fascinating discussion, a very, obviously, a very brief discussion because there are loads and loads of things that you talk about in your lectures, other supplements we haven't got time to deal with here, such as CoQ10, melatonin, other things. Um, but I do highly recommend people to visit your YouTube channel to see your lectures, which are detailed, that they are very approachable. Um, you know, even somebody like me can follow what's going on. I hope that people will go over there and subscribe to that. And I repeat, just before we close, that nothing said here today is medical advice because everybody is different everyone has different needs different tolerances etc so please do consult with your doctor before making any changes to your diet by way of supplementation so thank you ever so much for your time dr said your excellent interview and uh, for carving out time on your very busy schedule thanks very much for speaking with us you are very welcome thank you very much very much for having me and wishing everyone stays safe and healthy wonderful thank you ever so much it was great to speak to you Same here. Bye-bye.